Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is uh, Mike. Michael Adams, Old Religion Dystopia, Knowing versus Belief. We're going to be talking... Well, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be uh, from this is a uh, four part lecture series on spiritual warfare. I'm going to start with uh, it's called uh, Spiritual Warfare 101 What is the Invisible War? Part 1. And um, you can find this on Living on the Edge. And uh, with uh, Chip Ingram. Now I, I apologize for uh, worse than usual uh, lack of communication uh, communication skills. But uh, well, I'm going through spiritual warfare, so. Um, I shouldn't have been surprised about any of this, but I feel this is necessary to do. I believe that uh, the enemy is uh, really taking his toll on me, him and his minions, his demons, and I probably need this more than anyone else. I will give you a link so that you can actually listen to the um, the sermon if you wanted to see more polished presentation. Um, yeah. And this does have a lot to do with, quote-unquote, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, and all the other things. As time goes on, you'll see, if you haven't seen already. starts with this. Uh, scriptures, uh, Ephesians uh, 6, 10, um, and then Ephesians 6.12. Demons, Satan, the powers of darkness, they're real. And they are actively at work in our world. The question is, do you know how to recognize them? And if need be, go to combat against them. Chip begins the series, quote, The Invisible War, what every believer needs to know about Satan, demons, and spiritual warfare, end quote, with the overview on who the enemy is and how they operate. <clears throat> I'm going to read the script. When you talk about spiritual warfare and you think of the Christian community, you have the spectrum, don't you? I mean, that raises the issues like, quote, they're going to teach that here, in the quote, and over here, you have people that, I mean, it is what they talk about all the time, and demonic spirits and territorial spirits, and there are all kinds of things with the unseen world. And then you have the whole 
branches of Christendom that would intellectually acknowledge that, quote, yes, the Bible talks about Satan and demons, but you know, that was probably at another time in another world, and I don't really see that stuff playing out in our day in this way, end of quote. And sometimes I don't know about you, but if you flick the little clicker on TV, you can hear someone talking about spiritual battle. And dot, 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 I've heard literally some of the most wacko stuff I've ever heard in my life. Have you ever just thought to yourself, I wonder what that biblical, what the Bible actually teaches, excuse me. And so, what I want to tell you is, we're going to do Spiritual Warfare 101. And that's the session number one. And it's going to be the very basics. And then the ne next session will be Spiritual Warfare 201. And this is just like a college class. And then we're going to go to Spiritual Warfare 301, and it's going to get a little bit more intense. And then we're going to get to graduate work, and we're going to do Spiritual Warfare 401. But here's the one premise I want to make. I make no claim whatsoever to be an expert in this area. But what I want to tell you is this. There are extremes in the Christian community, but the Bible is very clear. There are clear things that we can come together and open the scriptures and we can know 100% this is what God says about the area of spiritual warfare. Because we're not going, <clears throat> or we're not going to jump all over the world. You're going to open your Bibles to Ephesians 6, and we're going to study for the next few days in four sessions, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And what we know is that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians church, and in the first three chapters, he told them, quote, this transformation, this amazing thing occurred. You're brand new. You're accepted. You're redeemed. You have an eternal inheritance. You've been brought, you've been bought with a price. The Spirit has sealed you, and there's this brand new thing. In chapter 2, you were in the kingdom of darkness. You've been ransomed, and now you're in the kingdom of his beloved Son. There's this new entity called the church, or the community, or the, the body of Christ. And it's been a mystery, but it's been in the mind and the heart of God since, the, since eternity past. Jew, Gentile, one new thing, new relationship. Then in chapter 4 opens up and says, with this supernatural and new life that you have with God the Father through your relationship with Christ by the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In chapter 4 we'll talk about walking in purity and walking in light. Then chapter 5 will say, what's 
it look what's it look like to walk in the light and walk in purity and to walk in love and it talks about relationships with husband and wife and then in chapter 6 we'll open up and talk about with children and then slaves and so he's given us the entire orb or sphere of living the Christian life this is what happened this is who you are this is how to do it this is what it looks like and then in chapter 6 beginning with verse 10 he says by the way do not forget this this new life will be lived out in a hostile environment you live in a fallen world you are brand new but you still have the flesh and the flesh wages war against the spirit right Galatians but not only is it a fallen world a sinful world things aren't the way God created them he will make it all right one day but it's a fallen world you have this battle going on between the spirit and the flesh and this is a supernatural angelic being who fell from heaven who took a third of the angels with him and his job and his goal and his strategy is to destroy your life to murder you spiritually emotionally relations uh, <clears throat> relationally and physically he wants to take you out he wants to ruin your life he wants to ruin your marriage he wants to ruin your children he wants to split your church he wants to have you overwhelmed deceived believing lies and be rendered completely ineffective in his new relationship with Jesus so the church and the gospel are discredited and you become a miserable person and all the work of God and the work of the cross and the work of the resurrection is for naught what he's gonna say is you better get your chin strap and you better buckle it because this new life that you're living is in a very difficult spiritual environment you are involved in you can be aware of it or you can be not aware of it but you're in an invisible world so open your Bibles to Ephesians 6 10 through 20 and let's start with a spiritual warfare 101 this is the central teaching of the entire New Testament on spiritual warfare so let's cover these verses 10 through 12 and then I want to develop five basic truths I mean the most elementary basic truths about spiritual warfare out to Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 12 the Apostle Paul says finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might put on the full armor of God why that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil this reason 
for the struggle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against world forces in this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, in the margin, you might write two columns. And verse 10, 11, and 12, there are two commands. The first command is in verse 10. And this command is, be strong in the Lord. And then it tells you how. And in the strength of his might. Whatever we know about his battle, about this battle, excuse me, it's not about you mustering up certain strength or doing something on your own. There is strength available. There is power available. And the only way to win this war is to be strong in the Lord. And what you already possess that he told you about in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. Now, for those who that like a little bit of grammar, this is in the present imperative. That means it's a command. And it's in what's called grammatically a passive voice. And that doesn't mean a lot to you. So notice in the notes, it says, verse 10, general command. The passive voice means you can't do it but you have to allow God to do something. Yet it is a command to obey. So, are you ready? This is the Chip Ingram paraphrase. Allow yourself to be continually strengthened by the power already available to you in your new position and relationship with Jesus. And then, allowing, alluding to that power. You need to allow God to work in your life in such a way that the power that has been made available in your new relationship with him gives you the strength to win this battle you're going to find that you've already won the war. Now notice the second command is how to do it. Well, how do you do that? It says, put on the full armor of God. The purpose is, to, is the idea that you can stand firm or literally it holds you... It holds your ground. You're already in a conflict, which you're to put on the armor of God. That's God's provision so you can actively win this battle because you've already won the war. And so he says how to do this. You put on the full armor of God. That's verse 11. It's by continually and repeatedly putting on, at specific points in time, the spiritual protection God has provided for you. The verb is a little bit different. Is a little bit different one. It's in a tense that means at a uh, punctual error, at a point in time. 
The other one was a command. But this one has the idea of a sense of urgency, a specific time, at specific times. You need to be urgent and ready. Put on the armor of God. This is what is called the middle voice. It's sometimes it's something that you cooperate and you do for yourself. You do it for the express purpose of holding on to your possession or position in Jesus as you're bombarded by satanic strategies designed to destroy you and or render you ineffective in your kingdom pursuits. So he's saying, be strong in the Lord. That's the way you win. How do you do it? By putting on the full armor of God. Where is the battle? There are, did you notice the little word schemes? Circle the word. We get our English word strategies. There is an invisible angelic being who has a host of demons that has specific strategies to take you out, to tempt you, to deceive you, to get you to believe lies, to get you to be drawn away from God, to get your heart filled with partial truths and untruths, to get you to try and go after a good thing in the wrong way or the wrong or the wrong time or with the wrong person. He's got schemes. Lord knows I experienced that with this Bigfoot research thing. <clears throat> notice now notice we do not need to do this. The reason is verse twelve. He says for our struggle you might circle the word This word struggle means hand-to-hand combat. It was used in ancient Greek times of two people going into a wrestling match or hand-to-hand combat until one person was in victory and could hold the other person down. For our struggle, our battle, our hand-to-hand combat is not, notice, It's not with circumstances. It's not with people. It's not with another person. It's not with an organization. You get the idea? It is not flesh and blood. The struggle or conflict isn't a material issue, but it is an invisible war. And then, when he begins to list for you is a very clear hierarchy of demonic power. Just like there are generals and lieutenants and majors and sergeants, he says it is not flesh and blood that you battle against, but against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness. He makes it very clear It's because this real struggle, a wrestle, a wrestling match, isn't against physical, material adversaries, but against a hierarchy of demonic forces doing battle in the spiritual realm. Now, you know what? When Paul's readers we're reading this, unlike being in the 21st century, they weren't going, oh, wow, that sounds kind of weird. Demonic activity was very common in that day. 
They understood all about it. He was just telling them some, some things that were realities in their life. Because like us, what happens? We get thinking the problem is our mate. We get thinking the problem is our boss. We get thinking the problem is one of our children. We get uh, thinking it's circumstances and situations. We don't understand behind those things. There is an arch enemy that wants to use those to destroy our lives. Now, we all make choices. Sometimes the consequences are bad things happen to us. We don't blame that on demonic forces or the enemy. Sometimes it's just a fallen world and circumstances happen. Everything, again, is not because of demonic forces. The danger as we approach this is to think that everything has to do with Satan and demons or that nothing has to do with Satan or demons. As C.S. Lewis, I think, aptly said, when speaking about the reality of Satan and demonic activity, the danger is always twofold. To put way too much emphasis or way too little. So, with that, here's what I'd like to do. This is 101. I want to give you five basic truths that just flow right out of the passage, this passage, and that you can know for sure this is true about spiritual warfare. So turn the page on your notes, and we'll dig into it. Of course, you don't have the notes here with you as I'm reading it, but you can find it. I believe you can find some of it. Yes, you can. Um, the website. And we'll turn to the page as your notes, and we'll dig into it. And we'll dig in together, excuse me. Five basic truths of spiritual warfare. Truth number one. There is an invisible world that is just as real as the visible world. Now, empiricism and scientific method, you know we've got now a couple, three or four centuries since the Enlightenment that we want to explain everything and test everything, and measure everything. What I want you to know, there is a world. There is a world that you cannot see. It's invisible. And I would like to interject my own point. One of the things I've been trying to demonstrate and prove to you, unbeknowingly, at first, taking these images of these entities by a camera is just that. Good. Our Heavenly Father, our Abba Father, has given us the technology to know this now. As things ramp up, there's going to become more and more a less of an excuse for those who follow the religion of scientism and don't follow the words of God. He's given us the technology now to see these things. Now, whether you want to see it or not, that's another thing. I'll get back into the reading. Sorry for the monotone voice and the stumbling, but I'm struggling with my uh, health issues. But I'll be damned if I'm going to let 
the evil one and his minions stop me from sharing this and very important message to all. But it's as real as touching your skin. It's as real as when you kiss one of your children on the cheek or put them to bed. It's as real as when someone rear-ends you in your car and you find yourself with lower back pain and back spasms. It's as real as tasting and touching and watching the sunset, a sunset. We've got a multiple examples. We've got multiple examples. For centuries, people couldn't see bacteria. But was but was bacteria real? Viruses are they real? That's a very good question, Mark. That's for another debate. Electricity, can you see it? But it's doing something, doing some things, isn't it? Natural gas, I can't see it, but you, but you know what? I've got a little thing in my house that if I light this and turn a little switch over there, ooh, carbon monoxide. I can't see it. I can't, I can't smell it. It's completely invisible. But if you stay in the room with it, enough of it, what will it do? It's, it'll kill you. There's an invisible world. Let me give you an Old Testament example and a New Testament example. Turn to your Bible, if you would, to Second Kings 6. And as you turn there, I'm going to look at verses and pick it up at verse 15. This is the story of one of the great prophets, Elijah. And as you turn there, I'll give you a little background. Elijah is making this king absolutely crazy. He's doing a number of amazing things. He's God's man. And tremendous things are happening. And so... They are trying to get rid of him. But every time they try to get rid of him, he sneaks out of it. Or he knows it's coming. And finally, the king gets fed up and says, You know what? I'm going to put an end to this thing. He gets a whole army together. He gets word where Isaiah is. He has an army and horsemen and chariots, and he surrounds the city, and he's going to get this prophet once and for all. <clears throat> the prophet has a servant who works with him. I don't know if he got up and got his clothes ready or cooked a little breakfast or went out and got water. But the guy gets up early and they're good buddies and uh-oh. Who's translation here? Hey, boss. Yeah, we got troubles. Yeah, what? Come out here. You got to see this. And the guy goes, we're dead. We're dead. What are we going to do? I mean, it's surrounded. Troops and cavalry, chariots. I mean, there's no way. This is a very interesting text in the Old Testament. 
where God wants us to understand there, there are invisible realities that we do not see. But they are very, very real. Into that situation, in verse 15, now when the attendants of the man of God had risen early and gone out and beheld, or behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. His servant said to him, At last, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those with them. And if I'm that servant, I'm thinking, that guy's a prophet. God speaks through him. He's powerful, but he's terrible in math. You know, I'm going, yo, hey, hey, bro, come on. Out here, let's count again. You, me, that's two. Now, let's count all of those. And then, notice what he does. Look at verse 17. Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. And the Old Testament clearly documents that there is an invisible world that is real. He prayed, and he had the power for that moment of time to see angelic beings, the protection that he had. In the New Testament, we have 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. We'll look at it more later, but the only point I want to make is that Apostle Paul will say, the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh. Though we live according to the flesh, we do not battle according to the flesh. He's going to say there's an invisible world. He's going to introduce the idea that not only that, but there's an invisible war. In fact, not in your notes, but you want to jot down a very interesting passage, Daniel 10, because there is a connection between this invisible world and the visible world. This is an this is an old old booklet that had a great impact on me. Francis Schaeffer a little booklet called Two Contents, Two Realities. Francis Schaeffer just makes the point there are two contents. There is a content of a material world and there is a content of a spiritual world. There is a visible world and there is an an invisible world. And there is a content of men and flesh, and of organizations, and trees, sky, and tangible things. And just as parallel, a real, invisible, non-material world. And there are realities occurring in this invisible world. And there are I just lost my place. There is the content of... Okay. And there is the reality occurring in the invisible world, and there are realities that we experience in this visible world. And then Schaefer made the point, there are there is an arch 
or a connection between the invisible and the visible. And if you would read Daniel 10 very carefully, you would find that he gets revelation that he does not understand. So he fasts and prays. He gets no answer for the first 21 days. And after 21 days, one of the big, heavy-duty, supercharged angels comes. Not just a regular angel. And he says, Daniel, your prayer was heard on high and answered from the first day. But I was dispatched. And I've been doing battle with the king of Persia. Now, we don't understand exactly, not a lot of details. People make a lot of it. Here's what we know for sure. An angel was doing battle somewhere, and God was answering his prayer. And something happened in the invisible reality that had an impact on the visible reality. When a man... When a man prays, God is answering. There's not only an invisible world, but fact number two, basic truth number two, we are involved in an invisible war. We are involved and a cosmic conflict that has eternal implications. Notice that Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war. Notice that word war. That's a battle term according to the flesh. Why? For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And then it begins to tell us where this war occurs. We are destroying speculations and everything raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. Put a line under every thought captive. The battle for this invisible war, war this cosmic conflict, is largely between your ears. The attack is on your mind. He is the father of lies. He is a deceiver. He is a deluder. He casts doubt on God. He casts doubt on his word. He casts doubt on you. He wants you to believe a set of lies. What do I have experience with that one? And when you do spiritual warfare, he says, pull down destructive, lofty things against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. Your mind, your belief system, your worldview that's where the great majority of the battle occurs. And if you think this is just a small-time deal, look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It speaks here of, in whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds. Underline the word, words, the minds. 
of unbelievers. Why? That they might not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Jesus. Who is in the image of God. The battle is for the mind. I want to say something. I've taken liberty instead of saying Christ, of putting Jesus there. Only because there are many that claim to be Christ, but there's only one Christ, and that's Jesus. I had a situation. I spoke at, this is now Chip Ingram. And whether you, yes, Easter is a pagan holiday, okay, let's move on, all right. Because there's a more important message. I had a situation, I spoke at an Easter service at a church in Atlanta, and uh, Theresa and I, Theresa and I, I guess I'm I think it says Teresa and I had a great relationship of an interim teaching pastor, pastor for a year. And it was my second to last service. And I had a little farewell, and it was a great time. I did a little bit of an unusual Easter service in that I gave a little brief overview and then I gave the core of what occurred on the cross in terms of reconciliation and redemption. I mean, it was the gospel. Gospel, I mean, flat out, flat out. I got together with a group of men before I preached and one fellow was telling how his dad had had come. His dad's an unbeliever. He's probably a guy about my age, maybe five or six years older. And he says to me, he said, I don't get it. I don't get it. I've been sharing Jesus, with my father for over 20 years. He came last week. He came to church. He said, that's the clearest, most persuasive hearing of the gospel I've ever heard in my life. And I went out to lunch with my dad. And afterwards, I said, well, dad, what do you think? And let's talk about it. And his response was, you know, I don't just really understand where Cain got his wife. Do you? You know, if the Bible says this about Adam and Eve, and if Cain's over here, dot, 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 and to quote, he said, Chip, all I can tell you is it was like BBs off a tank. See, we tend to think that the knowledge of God is an intellectual issue. It is not. It is a spiritual and a moral issue. And the God of this world, part of his battle, part of his strategy, is to blind the minds of, men, of people so they can't ascertain they are, I guess, can't ascertain what they can't grasp, I guess it would be. By the way, we'll hit on this much later. This is why intercessory prayer is so vital and important. There is a relationship. Now, what that relationship is, I don't know. I can't tell you it flows right out of the New Testament text, how it works, 
I'm not even going to begin to try and explain it. But here's what I can tell you. There is a relationship between a man or a woman beseeching God and praying for people. Their eyes being able to see and when people are coming to Jesus, I guarantee one thing about the church, somewhere, somehow, in that church, someone believes in prayer and isn't talking about it. They're doing it. And you know what? I mean, in Jesus' life, in Jesus' life, when Jesus was tempted, when Jesus was in agony, I am going to do the Father's will. Let's remember now, let's get our theology clear. Jesus didn't have, like, a nice robe and a nice beard and have an S on his chest underneath. You know, like when it's really, really got, when it really got hard, he would forget being a man and go, ba, 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 ba. He was fully man and he was fully God. He was tempted in every way, like us, but did not sin. He was tempted with lust. Jesus was. He was tempted to quit. He was tempted with depression. He was tempted with envy. He was tempted with anger. He was tempted with the false beliefs that these people won't appreciate the sacrifice. Don't die for them. This is too much. He agonized as a human being, fully man and fully God. He agonized to the point of sweating great drops of blood. What did Jesus do in order to overcome a temptation? Where did he go? What did he do? He prayed. His three closest friends, that is the one thing he asked them to do. He had a need in his life. He was in a spiritual battle. What did he ask them to do? Pray. When Peter remembered the last night, Peter, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Now, wait a second. He's God, right? Yeah. Well, why didn't he just speak a word and say, Satan, get behind him or something? Is model, he's modeling for us. Jesus walked with the Father in total dependence in the power of the Holy Spirit and lived a perfect life, modeling for us what it looked like. And when someone was being tempted or harassed by the enemy, Jesus' solution was to pray. Do you understand? You're involved in a visible and invisible world that intersects. And there is a war going on, a cosmic conflict that has eternal implications. The souls of men, the souls of women, the souls of little boys and girls. Of every nationality. Of every color. The enemy seeks to blind. We'll see how 
he seeks to dull their souls, their lives, their futures, forever and ever and ever at a stake. That's what spiritual warfare is all about. Let me stop for a moment of application. How was the last time you honestly considered some struggle or relationship, relational conflict in your life that the roots could be satanic opposition? When's the last time now, again, I'm saying that it, this is not, oh, I had a flat tire. That must be the flat tire demon. Or I burned the steak. That must be the too hot barbecue demon. Or lost my job because I didn't show up and didn't do a very good job. That must be the I've got a bad boss demon. No, no, okay. We're talking some good biblical common sense. I'm talking about regular, ordinary people like you who walk with God, who love God, who have normal conflict, who don't see a demon under every bush. But, when's the last time you had something you couldn't explain? You know, like someone you loved and trusted and had great relationship with, and then it starts going south. They, and they love God. You love God. And no matter what you try to do, you can't get it together. Or it's a church. It's a great church. And God has really used God is really God has really used the church and something's wrong. Something's amiss. And no one can put the finger on it. And there's a sense of oppression or depression. Or for my case, my personal life, as I began to prepare about three weeks for this, I didn't think much of it at first. The lady pulls out and totals my car. And, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Nobody got hurt. And then two days later, we had some bushes that we've been trying to take out. So they took out the bushes and broke one little sprinkler. Well, it's no big deal. Except the guy who came to fix the sprinkler cut the telephone line. And one little sprinkler turned into, well, this was done. First time ever. In 26 years, I've been working on houses. And then the whole water system wouldn't work. And then... Teresa and Annie and I went out to dinner one night and in about a five-day period, as soon as I started to teach this, there were probably about 15 or 16 things. It just got laughable. I remember in Santa Cruz, we would have musicals. And normally we've, and we normally see something, sometimes hundreds of people come to Jesus. I've had five or six appliances go out in 24 hours. I mean, that's not exactly coincidence. Now I understand. Uh, physiologically, and this and that. But 
I remember teaching this one time. We did a spiritual enrichment of our staff. I thought, I sensed we needed this. We need this as a staff. And I got up that morning and did it, and I didn't get down. I mean, in fact, I got up early. It was Monday. I had a quiet time, and my wife was gracious. I had a little prayer thing that I was go through, and she said, "Hey, do you want some coffee? Coffee in bed? I mean, guys, does doesn't get." any better than that. And I had a good time with the Lord. And it was extra special morning because she came by again. Do you want another cup? Oh, honey, I love you. Yeah, it's great. And I went to work. Then about an hour before I was to teach, it was like a black curtain went over me. Nothing's wrong. As far as I know, the Lord and I are fine. My wife's being loving and caring. My family's fine. I have thoughts like, I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to teach this. I don't want to be the president of the walkthrough. I don't want to preach. I'm a terrible person. I hate me. And all these voices. And I mean, I have you, I mean, have you ever gotten depressed? I mean, it was instant. It was like I was in the sunshine and then I stepped over and I'm in the pitch dark of, I'm in the pitch of dark, pitch dark, excuse me. Being a super intelligent guy that I am, I'm, uh, I'm going, what's wrong? Doesn't, I, I don't understand this. What could be happening here? I can't make the connection. I mean, I'm a half an hour just in a stupor, and I mean, just bad, bad, bad. And then a little light came on, like, hey, Chip, yeah, what are you teaching on? Um, spiritual warfare? Everything that might be part of it? Uh, never thought of that. And I'll talk about how, but I prayed. I confronted the enemy. Bang. It was like walking out of the darkness and into the light. When's the last time in your life, rather than explaining it away and taking a a pill to feel better, or going out for a movie, or eating a little, something extra, or just glossing it over and saying, well, it's too bad about that relationship, you said, could it be in this situation there could be some spiritual opposition, demonic activity that I need to check out? When's the last time you did that? Those who endured that, thank you. I did the best that I could under the circumstances. I'm struggling, obviously speaking, but like I said, I'm not going to let the the evil one and his minions keep me from sharing the message that is so obviously important to be shared. That we are uh, in the midst of spiritual warfare, and that there is something to be done about it, and you can do something about it. We're going to learn more about putting the whole full armor of God on. Who our enemy is. The really hard demonic entities.
Once again, this is uh, Living on the Edge with Chip Ingram. And I will uh, post this in the information box for you guys on the YouTube channel. And I know what I'm going through is a terrible, terrible, terrible uh, spiritual battle. Because, uh, well, the the enemies of darkness Satan and his minions don't want me to be telling you the truth about what you're seeing that people are being deceived by demonic entities and that there is only one answer and lights remember we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's spiritual. You need a full armor of God. And when you get into this battle, there's only one answer. May our Heavenly Father bless you. May you come to the realization of who Jesus is, now he atoning blood and sacrifice for you. How, how great it was. And now you're protected if you have faith. Finding faith in Jesus. The only portal that means anything. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.